Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. I pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. This is the second Sunday of Advent, sometimes referred to as the Preparation Sunday, and yet all of Advent is a time of preparation. Preparation for the celebration of the first coming of Jesus and preparation of us for his second coming. We heard in Isaiah's prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, and we prayed in the psalm that the poor would be delivered from falsehood and delivered from wrong. In the Gospel reading, John the Baptist says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Paul, in the epistle to the Romans, tells us, Bear with one another. I ran across a story not long ago I'd like to share with you. Outside a house of insurgents in 2005, Corporal Javier Alvarez ran into the fire. He ran into a firefight, and in his sprint in the direction of gunfire, he was shot three times in the leg. And as he was receiving battlefield medical care, the shots fired more and more and more around him. He picked up his rifle, returned fire, and then he heard someone say, Grenade. And he immediately grabbed the grenade and threw it. And in the process of that, saved six Marines and lost his hand. When he was interviewed in 2009, about four years later, by Stars and Stripes, he said, I really did not grieve the loss of my hand because I had a mission. And there were a lot of other things going on. And six Marines are alive. Now Paul, in the epistle to the Romans, tells us that we are to put the concerns of others above our own. Not totally unlike Corporal Alvarez. Now the whole book of Romans tells us that the grace of the Lord is available to all of those who will receive in faith the gospel, to all people, everywhere. But in the 15th chapter that we heard today, the message is specifically to the church. Now, much of the 15th chapter is a summary of the 14th. And so for right now, I'm just going to summarize the message of the 14th, and then we'll get on to the 15th. Paul tells us that Christians are at different levels of spiritual maturity. They come from different churches. They have different backgrounds. Some have no church. But they all have to live harmoniously. We have to quit judging each other. We're to accept those who have a weak faith. We're not to quarrel with them. Now, in the church in Rome... There were Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. 
And they fought about food and drink and which day to worship. We quarrel about ancient liturgies, which music to play, which ministries are most important, and who should be in charge. Well, the strong should not despise the weak, and the weak should not despise the strong. God has accepted both the strong and the weak. They shouldn't condemn each other, for in fact they are all accountable to God. We're not to cause our brother strong or weak to stumble. We should always seek peace, and we should always seek to build one up, build up one another. If I say Father Kalin is to build you up, then I hope you also know that you are to build up Father Kalin. And now as we come to chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, we see that we're to follow the example of Jesus. He is the supreme example of one who ministered to others, and he certainly did not come here to please himself. And that, my friends, is one challenge. In verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, We who are strong and have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So who are the strong? Strong means we have the ability to be strong. Not everyone's strong all the time. It's not a static thing. Paul uses the word dunatos, which means powerful, strong, competent, influential, able. The root gives us the words dynamic, dynamism, and through other languages and probably PR offices, we get dynamite and dynamo. Strong. The strong have inner freedom. In 2 Corinthians, we read that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. The gospel remolds our personalities from the inside out. The strong have freedom and therefore room to maneuver. The strong also have an inescapable obligation to help carry the infirmities, the disabilities, the embarrassments, the encumbrances of the weak. The weak don't have that same degree of inner freedom, at least not at that moment. In seminary, one of my professors went out of his way to make a point about Christian freedom. He switched the labels on strong and weak. I'd always thought that strong Christians knew he could not. He couldn't. He couldn't smoke. He couldn't drink. He couldn't watch certain movies and on and on. Or she couldn't wear lots of makeup or fancy clothes. And she couldn't drink or smoke and on and on. The weak Christian, I thought, was one who spoke of liberty. But this professor literally put me in a garage full of cigarette smoke and whiskey. 
and taught me the strong are those who are more fully aware of grace and are more aware of the teachings of the Word of God. There we were in this freezing cloud of cigarette smoke, drinking whiskey as he held the Bible and preached to me. And I listened, and I got it. The strong end up having more freedom and more liberty, not less. But that very same liberty is not to lead to the comfort of the strong, but to serve the weak. Who are the weak? Well, Paul says, or he uses the word asthenema, from which we get the word neurasthenia. Asthenema means helplessness, weaklessness, failings. Neurasthenia is a word used in medicine to refer to those who are frail, weak, depleted, and not thriving. And indeed, some are bound up in rigidity, inflexibility, and intolerance. We're not to please ourselves or win our point at all costs. We're not to make ourselves comfortable, but we are to bear with the failings of the weak. That does not mean we're only to quietly tolerate the weak. We're not to do, we're to do more than just sit there. Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Paul says all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. That's what he said to the church in Thessalonica. The second verse says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Selfishness is always a barrier to effective Christian work. And of course it breaks Christian unity. It tears it up. The gospel says, love your neighbor as yourself. A strong Christian is to learn to please his neighbor. Instead of pleasing himself, he's to be considered to take due account of the position in which his brother is placed but not all pleasing of one's fellow man is good. The neighbor is very likely to be ready to be pleased by flattery. Maybe the neighbor would like to have his wrongdoing condoned. <laughs> this reminds me of a story about a man who consulted his doctor. Doctor, I've been misbehaving and my conscience is killing me. And the doctor says... And you want me to give you something so you won't misbehave? No, I want you to give me something so my conscience won't kill me. We're to please our neighbor for his true good, for his salvation, to build him up. We're not called to be man-pleasing, but God-pleasing. The third verse says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
That's from Psalm 69.9. The psalmist was criticized, insulted for believing in God, and Jesus was insulted for believing in God the Father. Paul appeals to the example of Jesus himself. He goes to Mark, well, I should say in Mark, the third chapter, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He most certainly did not seek to please himself, but sought rather to please his Father and to please men. Paul calls out the weak for judging the strong and the strong for despising the weak. It's so easy for those who are quite clear in their conscience about a course of action to snap their fingers at critics and say, I'll please myself. The right to do so is unquestioned. But that's not the way of Christ. His way is to consider others first, to consult their interest and help them in every way. Even Christ did not please himself. He put the will of God first of all. The fourth verse says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. The steadfast endurance and encouragement a Christian receives from the Scriptures come from God, who is the author of the Scriptures. The Scriptures give us endurance. We can stand in the face of adversity. As we learn from the past, we can be comforted in the present. As we read about those in the Old Testament who did not please themselves, we can look to the future with hope. Hope is the expectation of good things, but not just by chance, but by the knowledge that we have hope in Christ. The fifth verse says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. God provides the grace of endurance. He provides encouragement. And by his words and deeds, God gives us every reason to have patient endurance and to be encouraged even the bleakest, even in the bleakest of circumstances. And he gives us knowledge of and access to these words and deeds through his Spirit-filled Scripture. The sixth verse says, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prayed that God would give his readers a spirit of unity and to live in harmony as they follow Jesus. The ultimate purpose of this unity was that with one heart and mouth they would glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter put it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that. Living hope. Not just the anticipation of a good outcome, but something that's alive inside. It lives within us. A living hope. That's Jesus. 
You know, we cannot lift up our voices to God. We can't sing love songs to Him and simultaneously condemn our neighbor. They can't be done at the same time. The strong and the weak are to stand shoulder to shoulder to glorify God. That's the final purpose of Christians. And that's the final purpose of the church. The seventh verse says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Since the goal of interpersonal relationships among Christians is a unified giving of glory to God, Paul concludes his message telling us to accept one another. Significantly, this is the same command Paul gave the strong Christians when he began the entire discussion. The model of acceptance for Christians, however, is Jesus, who accepted us. The Lord received us when we were not only powerless and weak, and we were, but when we were ungodly, sinners, and enemies. Surely Christians can receive others who differ from them on non-essential matters. Jesus Christ received all of us that we might bring praise to God, which is the purpose of Christian unity. And now I would like to pray a prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples, or at least a portion of it. He prayed it for his disciples, and he prayed it for us. So the Lord be with you. Let us pray. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen.